Hello everyone, welcome to Antibodies. This is our 23rd Bodysode, a segment where we discuss research papers with the first or last authors of the article. Joining me today is uh, my lovely co-hosts. First, Dara from University of Paris Saclay. Hi. Eugenio from Autonomous University of Mexico, Mexico City. Hello guys. And Natalie from the City of Hope Comprehensive Cancer Center. Hello. How are you guys doing today? Very well, thank you. The article we're discussing today is titled Heterogeneity of Meningeal B-Cells Reveals a Lymphopoietic Niche at the CNS Borders. There are three co-first authors in this paper, and I'll try my best to pronounce all the names correctly. First, Simone Brioschke, then Weyla Wang, and Vincent Peng. And joining us today is Dr. Weyla Wang himself. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Weyla. Hello, everyone. So this has to be a big study considering there are three co-first authors. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> all right. So without taking any more time, um, Natalie, I'll hand over the mic to you to tell us more about our our guest today. Cool. Yeah, well, uh, Wayla is, you know, one of the co-first authors on this paper, and he's a postdoc in the lab of Darko, Dr. Marco Colonna at Washington University in St. Louis. He received his master's from the Graduate Institute of Immunology at the National Taiwan University College of Medicine. I personally know Wayla because he got his PhD from the City of Hope and was actually a graduate student in Dr. Bark, Mark Bolden's lab where he mentored me. So uh, like he's, he's like one generation above me in the grad student line. In the Bolden lab, he worked on characterizing the role of a particular microRNA, that's MIR-142, in the role of B-cell development, Treg-mediated immune tolerance, and in the progression of B-cell leukemias and lymphomas. While there, he won numerous awards, including the American Association of Immunologists Career in Immunology Fellowship, and now he has a paper in science. All I can say is that, uh, like, we definitely saw this coming. It was a bright, shining star, but we're all still so very proud. So uh, now Wayla is bringing his best B-cell brilliance to his postdoctoral work in the Kelowna Lab. And uh, according to the website, the Kelowna Lab actually focused on three things. One is innate lymphoid cells in mucosal immunity. Two is innate immune mechanisms of Alzheimer's disease and neurodegeneration and plasmacytoid-dendritic uh, cells and interferon alpha-beta in host defense and autoimmunity. However, the paper we'll be talking about today centers around the role of B cells in the brain. So yeah, we've got B cells on the brain today. Oh, really? <laughs> nice, B cells in the brain. I think I think that might be the title of this podcast already. Right? <laughs> Well, I've got a joke for you guys. Um, what does the B in B cell stand for? I, for I, I think we just spoiled it, but yeah. bone marrow? No. Uh, is, that, you, is that bursa? No, it's it's brains. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, uh, Wayla, can you tell us how you got into immunology and research in general? Yeah, sure. Um, my major in chemistry when I was a college student. So during the summer from sophomore to junior, I enrolled in a summer program supported by a government agency in Taiwan. 
And this institute is similar to the National Science Foundation in the United States. So I work with an immunology lab, and that was my first experience of performing experiments related to biological science. One thing really impressed me is that I always forgot to include appropriate controls. And turns out I have to repeat the same experiment again. So nevertheless, I was fascinated by the complexity of the immunology. So I took several courses related to biological science, such as molecular biology, genetics, and the fundamental immunology after this summer program. Nice. Yeah. Well, what has been your experience in academia like? Do you have any advice? Um, so I will say it's very similar to fishing. So the moment you got the fish, of course, you are very excited. <laughs> However, before that, you have feel you probably feel frustrated and you have to figure out all the possibility why fish don't want to bite your bait, right? And uh, for the advice, I think you need to know yourself and know how to get along with yourself. So most of the time works in the lab is quite lonely. And of course you have your mentor and lab mates, but you are the only person who knows your own project thoroughly. So stubborn in most of case sounds like a negative word to describe a person. But here in science, this is not a bad thing. So sometimes being stubborn and perspective are very close. <laughs> yeah. Also, yeah. whenever immunologists say fascinating, you should read frustrating because that's actually what they mean. <laughs> <laughs> it is very frustrating to work with. Fascinating, I mean. No, I didn't mean that. <laughs> well, uh, let's go over some terminology before we go into the paper. Um, you know, I think our audience is primarily people who are, of course, interested in immunology, so they don't know anything about brains. Uh, so first, we're going to talk about the CNS, which is, of course, the central nervous system. And I think we were all taught, you know, that there's this blood bane brain barrier that no immune cells are going to get into your brain because, you know, they kill all your brain cells or whatever. But uh, we, we've recently finding out that that's not necessarily true. Um, Wayla, do you want to elaborate on the role of the immune system, you know, in the brain and how it's different? Well, actually, it's not that different from, okay, based on this paper, it's very similar to bone marrow. But what I'm trying to uh, clarify is that when we talk about brain, it's a brain parenchyma. But the region that we study in this paper, it's meningi, and actually it's the border. It, I would say it's more like the interface of the molecular and the autonomy that separate the immune or connect the immune system and the neural system. Yeah. Very cool. So then that, that word you just brought up is the meninges. So these are some membranes. Uh, there's actually three of them, the dura mater, the arachnoid and the pia mater that line the skull and uh, the vertebral canal and enclose the brain and spinal cord, right? Yes. Cool, cool. Yeah. Cool. Um, the last thing I wanted to bring up with uh, was a CYTOF, which stands for cytometry by time of flight. And this is basically like a high parameter sort of flow cytometry, except instead of using antibodies that are labeled with fluorophores, they're actually labeled with um, metals of different weights, right? And so uh, it's like you take your cells and basically like blast it into, I don't know, like a membrane of some kind, and it can look at the metals that are hitting it. And that's how you can get a good picture of, um, you know, the type of cells that you're feeding into it. Is that correct? Um, yes, you can just imagine that they combine the technique of flow cytometry, the conventional flow cytometry, and mass spec. 
And the reason you use mass spec is you can use more heavy metal to label different surface markers. So normally in the fluorescence based cytometry, you can have maximum probably 17 to 20. Mm -hmm. But for this one, you can have the marker that run in a row up to close to 40. That's the biggest advantage of using this uh, technique to run your sample. Especially you have very limited cell number. Yeah. Very cool. All right, well, let's get into the paper. Okay, thanks a lot for that, for all the terminology, uh, Natalie. And with that, let's get into the premise of the paper. The central nervous system is surrounded by meninges that apart from providing physical protection, also harbor immune cells that can survey the CNS border. The current standing paradigm about the existence of immune cells in the CNS is that the immune cells that end up there arrive through systemic circulation, which means they probably developed somewhere else in the body and just found their way to the CNS through one way or another. The paradigm has been challenged by several studies. For example, this one study where the calvaria, which is made up of a set of flat bones that make up the dome of the skull, has been shown to have blood vessels connecting with the meninges. Then another study showed that there were clusters of developmentally immature B cells found in the mouse central nervous system. The authors in the current study are also set out the existing paradigm and their central hypothesis is that the calvaria, which is the bone I just talked about, could be a source of new immune cells for the central nervous system. Uh, Wayla, I have a question for you at this point. As mm -hmm. much as I'm impressed by the idea of having immune cells in the calvaria, I'm also curious to know, how did you come up with this hypothesis? Okay, so actually this is the second hypothesis of the, our study. I think we, all this project are starting from very unexpected and interesting observation. So I have to say there's a paper uh, published on cell in itself, 2016. So a group of people were trying to look at the disease-associated microglia in the context of Alzheimer's disease. So what they did, they sorted CD45 part itself. So CD45 is the general marker for all immune cells. They sorted cells from brain and they performed a single cell RNA-seq. And what they found is that they have a heterogeneous population of B cell, including mature and immature B cell. So that's, that is really unusual because we know most of the time, like brain shouldn't have any immune cell except microglia. But what is happening? And actually three years later, another independent group found Uha Becker's lab, they used a cytof to look at CD45 and the class two double positive cell. And again, they have very similar observation of mature and immature B cell. So that's why we have this initial uh, hypothesis. Perhaps there's a novel niche for the B cell development in a, in a, in a central nervous system border. The reason why we have this hypothesis is because if you uh, open the textbook, it tells you the bone marrow is the primary organ for B cell development. Of course, you will see a heterogeneous population. But why we can have a similar observation in the, in the brain or in the central nervous system border? So then we took the image and try to observe the B cell using a, a, a B cell reporter mice. So we breed the CD19 with the Rosa 26 tomato, TD tomato reporter mice. So that can label all B cell with the TD tomato. And we try to look at the 
B cell in different region of the central nervous system, uh, like crop cortex or crop plexus or dentate gyrus. So all of the region in the brain parenchyma, we don't see any B cell. But when we try to use two photo image to look at the uh, activity of B cell, and we found that part of B cell is inside the vascular structure, and some of the B cells outside the uh, vascular structure. And we believe that's the region of the laptop meningy that we observe B cell, and laptop meningy is part of the PIA. So based on that observation, we think perhaps it's not in the brain, it's in the in the meningy. Because as I say, the laptop meningy is part of the PIA and that is part of the meningy. And we don't see any B cell in the brain parenchyma region. And then we wonder, okay, if there's that is true, there's a niche for B cell development in the central nervous system borders. What is the source of this B cell? And then another two or three paper published in 2018, they find a channel-like structure that connect the skull bone marrow cavity to the dura. And that's why we wonder whether this B cell is coming from the skull bone marrow through my, and then migrate through those channel-like structure and then stay in meningeal and finish the maturation steps. Okay. That's why we have this hypothesis. Yeah. Thanks a lot. That was a very detailed understanding of the whole hypothesis and how you went there. And, mm -hmm. and we, we actually also have some of the spoilers from the paper, but we'll still go through them. Let's go <laughs> to the results. And the first question that the authors ask is actually, they just wanted to know more about the immune cells that are present in the CNS. Um, I will say the same things as Natalie mentioned before, the meninges, they are a part of the, the border of the brain and the meninges are formed by three membranes. The outermost layer called the dura matter, which is attached to this, the skull periosteum. And then there are the two inner layers called the arachnoid matter and pia matter that cover the brain cortex. The authors noted that the meninges were enlarged in, enriched in multiple immune cells, which with B cells making up for up to 30% of all leukocytes. From this point onwards, the authors only focus on the dura matter because of how easy it is to access this part and also the fact that there are many immune cells in this part of the meninges. So here's a cool mouse model, which uh, Wayla has already described, but I will say that again, it's a mouse where CD19 positive cells, which largely denotes B cells, will fluoresce red as they are expressing the TD tomato fluorescent protein. The authors found that most B cells here uh, were extravascular and immobile, while the minority of the B cells were vascular and mobile. So I'll ask uh, a little bit here. First, I had this question about what was the rationale for only focusing on B cells in the brain? And I guess the idea is that you, from the previous studies, there were these uh, reports of having B cells in the brain. So I'm guessing that's the whole rationale why you would choose to look at brains here, right? Exactly, okay. yes. Okay. And. Uh, Another question is, what is the significance whether a B cell is vascular or extravascular? Why should anybody care about this? Well, so I'm not sure you are trying to ask what is the function of this B cell. Yeah, how are they, so how I, are they different? 
Well, at least uh, at this moment, we are not sure yet. Okay. Yeah, because uh, we just identify a niche for B cell finished development and the maturation. And, but I can speculate some. So a couple of years ago, uh, there's one paper published on Nature Neuroscience. They found that the B1 B cell reached uh, to the uh, highest number, I think postnatal within 30 days or two days, uh, two weeks, I don't remember. But uh, basically what I propose is that this B1 B cell accumulate uh, in a postnatal uh, period, try to helping the brain to develop. So one possibility is this developing B cell also helping the neuron, astrocyclia, whatever in the brain try to develop and mature. Yeah. And of course, a lot of neuron degeneration is mediated by B cell. Now that we found that there's a niche for B cell, so the next question we would like to know who is the major contributor to the uh, progression of pathogenicity, such as multiple sclerosis, lupus, or even Alzheimer disease. So recently there are two controversial papers. One saying that B cell is beneficial for the Alzheimer disease development. And the other one said, oh no, it's bad. So now it's, uh, it's still controversial, but uh, I think that is a good timing for us to figure out further what exactly this meningeal B cell contribute to any uh, neurological related disease. Okay, wait, did any of you guys know that B1 cells are required for development of the brain? I didn't know. Mm, yeah. no, I didn't. This is very new information for me. No, uh, uh, this is super crazy. So you're saying if I make a CD9 knockout of the of an organism, it will not have a proper development of the brain? Uh, well, to be honest, I will be very conservative to expand their uh, conclusion because what they, that group are trying to do is they co-culture the B1 B cell derived from the peritoneal cavity and then co-culture with the oligodendrocyte. And they use that as an assay to kind of say, oh, to prove the, 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 the function of the B1 B cell. But we know that the B1 B cell derived from brain or meningitis is probably not identical for those derived from the peritoneal cavity. Okay. So we have to be very cautious. Yeah. Okay, thanks for clarifying that. And mm -hmm. yeah, coming back, here's the interesting part. There are lymphatic vessels in the dura, which I honestly did not know in my four years of being a graduate student studying immunology. <laughs> and, and these lymphatics drain immune cells to the cervical lymph nodes. The authors hypothesize that the B cells in the meninges would share the same fate, so they introduce these TD tomato shining B cells into the CSF or the cerebrospinal fluid of a wild type mouse. What they found was that these fluorescing B cells did end up in the cervical lymph nodes, which shows that the B cells are able to travel to the cervical lymph nodes. But if you pay close attention to the frequency of donor uh, derived B cells, it's not that prominent. Overall, they found that there are extravascular B cells in the dura and they can exit the CNS by lymphatics. Okay, without getting into much details here, let's say that the authors found that B cells derived from the meninges were phenotypically similar to those derived from the bone marrow, since they found both developing B cells and mature B cells in these organs compared to spleen and blood, where most B cells were mature. 
Wella, can you tell us why it is important for us to know whether these B cells are similar or different compared to B cell found in another niche of the body? Yes, as I said, uh, before we initiate this study, I think based on the book, we know bone marrow is the primary organ for B cell development. Mm -hmm. So then based on uh, observation of the heterogeneity, heterogeneity of the B cell, that's why we have a hypothesis. Maybe there's a novel niche except bone marrow for B cell to finish the extramedullary development. So if that is the case, we want to know the exactly composition of B cell in meningitis, whether they are very similar to bone marrow, because that will give us a, another more information or idea whether that is a real location that B cell can arise. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'll just go on a quick tangent here. Um, you guys are looking at B cells. You said there were 30% of the B leukocytes were B cells in the manages. Uh, so you're still not ruling out the fact that there is possibly T cells and all those subsets also in these manages. We're just not focusing on in this study, but they're probably there too, right? Yeah. So actually this is a back-to-back -back paper with us. So another science paper published by uh, unique Kipnis group. So I think he is the group that rediscovery of the lymphatic system in the meningitis in 2015. So in their recent science paper, they identified several subset of myeloid lineage that is derived from skull bone marrow. That is, that's yeah, so, so cool. So I just need yeah, to yeah. need to convince my PI to now look at some type of T cell in the brain, and then I get a science <laughs> paper. And then Natalie, you go for another T cell. <laughs> and then it's really, HSCs. This is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, but it, it's so cool, man. It's it's just so cool that you're finding something where you did not expect it to be there, and now it's a, such a big discovery, and everybody saw it. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> And now that the authors show the presence of B cells in the meninges and that they were phenotypically similar to those found in the bone marrow, the authors ask how diverse was this population. In order to solve this question, the authors performed and compared single cell RNA-seq data of cells isolated from the pura matter, blood, and bone marrow. The authors found, as expected, that in blood, the majority of B cells exhibit expression of mature markers. And by contrast, B cells in the bone marrow and the dura exhibited both mature and early markers, confirming the presence of multiple stages of B cell development. Further analysis and clustering revealed that B cells in the blood were mostly mature, naive B cells in a few pools of immature B cells. In the other hand, bone marrow and dura contain mature, naive cells, immature B cells, pre-B pre cells, pro-B cells, and mitotic B cells. By sequencing the BCR, the authors showed that most of B cells were IgM positive. And as you might remember by your 101 chapter, IgM expression on B cells indicates early process during development. Finally, the authors performed a pseudo time analysis. And here I wanted to ask uh, Willey, can you tell us a little bit more about what does this analysis tell us and why did the results support your conclusions? So first, I would like to give the credit of this pseudotype analysis to Vincent. So he helped us to figure out this. And so, of course, in here, we want to confirm or prove that the meningitis B cell we identify here actually is developing or undergo maturation steps. So a good control would be the B cell in bone marrow. 
And especially we already, this is already well established by you know, using hard diffraction or other conventional approach that we know the developmental trajectory. So this kind of pseudo time analysis kind of do, okay, let's prove whether the population that we identify here follow the known process of the B-cell development in bone marrow. So that will provide another evidence to show you that actually this B-cell it's not just because of the composition is similar, but actually based on this pseudo-time analysis, it's following the conventional developmental uh, trajectory as we found previously in the bone marrow. Um, finally, in order to prove their model, the authors performed BRDU pulse chase experiments focusing on bone marrow and dura B cells. And for those who have never heard about this experiment, here's a quick explanation. It is known that every time a cell divides, it duplicates their DNA. The DNA is formed by four types of nucleosides, adenine, guanine, thymidine, and cytosine. BRTU, or bromodeoxyuretine, is a synthetic nucleoside analog with a chemical structure similar to thymidine. If you inject BRDU into the animal, then all dividing cells introduce BRDU instead of thymidine. And we, we could conclude, we could detect those cells by flow cytometry. If you stop giving BRDU, the cells eventually will lose their BRDU signal as it, as it is diluted over time. Using these approximations, the author found that Dura B cells incorporate BRDU very rapidly and that almost at day five after treatment, all cells were BRDU negative, meaning they could proliferate or divide, a phenomenon that resembles the characteristics of B cells in the bone marrow. Finally, in order to validate the single cell RNA-seq data, the authors perform a mass spectrometry of dura, blood, and bone marrow cells. And by looking at superficial markers that indicate B-cell development, the authors supported their data on single-cell RNA-seq data. They could find immature and mature B-cells in the dura, but not in the blood. With this data, the authors conclude that dura B-cells have a continuum development phenotype that are commonly found in the bone marrow, but not in the periphery. Okay, now that we have established that there is a similarity between the bone marrow and the dural B cells, uh, the next question is what is the origin of the dural B cells? Uh, according to their single cell RNA-seq and site of data, it was very unlikely that dura B cells were derived from circulating immature B cells. Then, then they would later migrate to meninges and proliferate. The authors explored the hypothesis what if the B cells could be coming from the calvarial bone marrow, uh, bone marrow, which is the bone that uh, forms the skull? In order to assess this question, the authors designed the following experiment. First, they irradiated a CD45.2 expressing a uh, animal that their body was fully protected with a lead shield with the exception of the head, depleting all immune cells from the head including the skull bone marrow. Then the mice received bone marrow transplantation in the irradiated skull from a CD45.1 uh, expressing donor and weeks later evaluated chimerism. So this is an experiment of adoptive transfer, uh, adoptive transfer where CD45.1 and CD45.2 are being used to look at the origin of the cells, whether they are from the donor or the recipient. The authors found a large proportion of donor-derived B cells present in the skull bone marrow and the dura, which is the meningeal B cells, 
but not in the tibia or blood. To further confirm these results, the author performed a parabio experiment where the circulation of two animals is joined together, in this case, the wild type with a CD19 tomato reporter mouse. After four weeks of shared circulation, the author found a very low proportion of parabiont-derived B cells in the brain and dura. This data supported the conclusion that most meningeal B cells appear to originate in the calvarial bone marrow and not from the circulation. The authors show that B cells migrating from, migrate from the calvaria to the meningeal, meninges through vascular channels. So just a very question about irradiating somebody's brain. <laughs> do, do they, are these mice normal after that? Uh, we don't see any abnormality of this, these mice. But uh, if you want to go to the detail, of course, you need to do some behavioral test. But mm -hmm. unfortunately, we don't do that uh, because at that moment, we're just trying to address the question that <laughs> might. Okay. But uh, it's possible. Yeah. Very have, cruel experiments, but I have point. several <laughs> questions. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so okay. when you irradiate a whole mouse, it mm -hmm. usually turns like gray or like spotted, right? Like yeah. loses color in its skin. So did it lose color only in its head or in the whole body? I, I don't have that observation. It looks normal. Oh, okay. Yeah, we it's, use the relative young mice and uh, like uh, as, yeah. So for most of the bone marrow camera experiment, unless you keep the mice for a while, because you can you can wait for eight weeks of the reconstitution, right? But here we only wait for four weeks, so I don't think at that moment I see any weird spot on the head of mine. <laughs> and then yeah. the parabiont—that's when you like sew them together, right? Is that a difficult exactly. experiment? And what's it like? I don't know. It's a very difficult experiment, and the mortality is high. So actually, to perform this experiment, we have a core specifically for doing this surgery for us. But even though after that, uh, I have to take care of this mice uh, two days, uh, per every two days. Mm -hmm. So because they are very susceptible to any kind of in, uh, infection. So only after two weeks of the surgery, you know that you can keep those mice for your uh, experiment. So for our first attempt to do in this experiment, we performed eight pair of the mice and only one left. Oh my gosh. Oh. Yeah. But of course, uh, this experiment can be improved by the skill of the people who uh, perform this surgery. So I think the second round is better. It's way better. But uh, as I said, the mortality rate is pretty high. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that also sounds like a very difficult experiment. Okay, well, uh, this, uh, these experiments are quite fascinating and extremely difficult to perform. Uh, but they reach their goal, a deep understanding of biology in the meninges. Um, what other strategy do you think you could have done to solve this question? Did you try a skull transplant or is that even possible? So at that moment, I think the, the, the unconventional bone marrow chimera and parabome are the most two best uh, strategies that we can come up with. But as I said, there's one back-to-back -back paper published by Unicup Kipnis Group. So if I remember correctly, one of their approach is try to transplant the skull from the GFP reporter mice to the wild-time mice. 
then they follow up all of the GLP positive cells in those volatile mice. Then they know all of the cells in the meningeals are derived from the, the GLP scalp. That's that's why I remember one of their approach. So in theory, the scalp transplant is feasible, but I'm pretty sure it's also challenging because you have to have a very skillful um, people to perform the surgery. Yeah, the surgery part seems extremely daunting. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, people get dura transplants, and I'm sure you could do a bone graft into the skull. I wonder if that would be a reasonable treatment for someone with, you know, a neurodegenerative disease or whatever. But um, anyway, well, first, oh, yeah. go ahead. first we had to figure out what is the, whether those meningeal B cells contribute to the pathogenicity, right? Okay. If it is, then then that's one possible solution. Okay, you get the next paper, and then I'll get the one after that. <laughs> I'll get the one after that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, so now we're moving on to figure six, and uh, the question is, what are the factors that support B-cell development in the meninges? So previous data showed that fibroblast-like cells, you could call those FLCs, located in the dura were really enriched in expression of CXCL12, which is a ligand of CXCR4, which is a receptor that is uh, fortunately expressed on dural B cells. So the authors asked, well, could it be possible that B cells and FLCs are communicating? So the authors found that the majority of developing B cells express CXCR4, and this led to the hypothesis that the CXCL12 and CXCR4 axis was required to retain B cells in the meningeal compartment. This idea was supported by the identification of CXCL12 expressing FLCs in close contact with B cells. As this signaling is required for proper development, the authors proposed that dural FLCs may support the survival and differentiation from B cells derived from uh, calvarial B uh, bone marrow. So Wayla, what's the next step, step for this observation? Are you planning to deplete the cells or deplete any of these genes from the meninges? Oh yes, of course, that's one of our uh, interest. But uh, the challenge is, so if you deplete the uh, fibroblast cell, we don't know what is the, the particular marker for the fibroblast-like cell in Dura. So instead, we can try to conditionally deplete the CXCL12 production from the fibroblast. But again, then in this case, we have to figure out is any marker that can distinguish the fibroblast in the meningi and bone marrow. Otherwise, you will also deplete or, or disturb the B cell development in bone marrow, right? We have one candidate that specifically expressed in the fibroblast. And uh, fortunately, that gene is also, I, I should say, the create recombinase driven by that gene is also available in Jackson. So then all we need to do is just breed that mice, the creed line with the CXL12 flux allele. Then hopefully we'll be able to specifically disturb the B-cell development in meningitis, but not bone marrow. Yeah. And also, if you pay attention to the, like, the, the interaction of B-cell with other immune cells in the bone marrow, it's not like just only the stromal or fibroblast can support the B-cell survival or differentiation. Other immune cell can do the same thing. So another possibility in the future direction is try to figure out is there any interaction of other immune population like my myeloid lineage can support the B cell development or survival in the meningitis. Cool. Yeah. And this axis for CXCL, CXCL12 and CXCR4, this is not unique to just meningitis. This is also found in about every other bone marrow site, right? 
Exactly. Yeah. Yes. So this also just confirms your your overall idea that these are just like a bone marrow. This niche is just like a bone marrow because normally, let's say, if you take the longest bone, humerus, you got stromal cells that produce CXL12, and they also retain plasma cells and B cells in there. So this is exactly that. Just few uh, characters are changing. Yeah. Oh, also, I also want to point out, if you pay attention to the fig figure six, and when we, when we were trying to look at the CXCR4 expression label in Dura and bone marrow B cell, we found that actually the, the expression label of CXCR4 is higher in the Dura early B cell. Mm. So it could be a couple of possibilities. Uh, one is that the expression label of CXCR12 in Dura is lower. So it's a compensatory effect that these cells have to express higher level of the CXCR4 to retain the meningeal. But another possibility you can interpret this data is somehow this B cell go to the meningeal and the environmental cube drive this cell to express even higher level of CXCR4. That's another possibility. So to, to us, it's still, it's a very interesting observation, but we don't know yet why this neural B cell express higher level of CXCR4. I think they really want those to stay here. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Also, I'll just correct myself. I just said lo longest bone is humerus. No, it's femur. So anybody who, who's going to comment on that, don't. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't very humorous of you. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so now that we uh, have reviewed uh, and described the, the generation of B cells in the meningeals, now we want to talk about a really hot topic in immunology, which is aging. So the authors look for uh, the phenotype of B cells in the meninges during aging. So uh, they compare uh, young uh, and aged female mice by single cell RNA-seq data and single cell BCR-seq data uh, from, B from B cells of the meninges. And here I want a quick question for you, Dr. Wee. What are the unique insights offered by single-cell BCR sequencing that we cannot gain using single-cell RNA-seq data alone? Okay, so if you perform this approach, then of course you can know the clonality of the B-cell. As long as you know this, the clonality of this B-cell, you can compare it to the B-cell you derive from blood, bone marrow, and uh, meningi, right? And by looking at where... Uh, how percentage or frequency they share the clonality, you know whether they are like developing independently or somehow they can uh, communicate each other. Especially for those studies done in the aged mice, we found that the share of the clonality of those uh, ABC in the meningi and the ABC derived from blood is increasing. So that implied uh, there's some age associated B-cell disseminated into the meningi during the aging. And yes. any particular reason why uh, these experiments were performed using female mice? Uh, so we know that if you consider the autoimmunity, so the female mice have higher chance to have this onset of the autoimmunity development. That's why we were uh, wondering whether by dissecting or analyzing the aged female mice, we might be able to find something interesting. Like, just because the autoimmunity is like sex biased, the frequency, the onset of 
the autoimmunity is higher in the, in general in female. Yeah, that's one one of the reasons. Uh, yes. Okay, so let's go back to the, the data. So from this uh, experiment, 9,352 9, B cells aggregate from 7-12 week old and 7-25.0 and female, female mice were generated. All B cell clusters in the dura were equally represented in young and aged mice, except for one cluster, which was almost entirely derived from aged mice and was therefore annotated as age-associated B cells or ABC cells which have been mostly described in the spleen, but not in the central nervous system. Differentially, gene expression analysis between these uh, age-associated B cells and mature B cells were performed and over 105 differently expressed genes were revealed. There are some, of, there are some top upregulated transcripts included APOE, LY6A, IGHM, IGKC, CD2, uh, LGLS1, CBT20, and SIC. Whereas the top-down regulated transcripts contain FC-epsilon receptor 2-alpha, CRC2, CD55, cell, and EBF1. That's um, a lot of markers. I have no idea what yes. to do with <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. when, when you said that we know about B cells in the ABCs in the spleen, but not in the CNS, because we don't know about any B cells in the CNS, right? Yeah. That's mostly, yeah. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. The next question the authors are asking is which pathway or function are these genes involved in? Well, right now we don't immediately see any pathway emerging based on this analysis. But if we just look at the gene by gene, so we know ApoE is critical uh, for the cholesterol transportation. And it's a, a risk allele for the development of, of the Alzheimer's disease. So again, now you can connect to this to the the neurodegeneration disease. So LY6A encodes SCAR1 and uh, CD2. Actually, we use these two markers and run a fax. So right now we don't know exactly what are the function of these genes, but at least they can use a good marker for the age-associated B cell in MNG. And uh, the ZBDB20, it's known gene that promotes the plasma cell differentiation. So then I think that's interesting why the plasma cell, B cell related gene is enriched in this ABC. So one possibility is that when this ABC migrate to meningi and they are exposed to some antigen that they never experienced. So in that case, they have potential to further differentiate to a plasma cell, right? Yeah. And that's one of the possibility that induced the autoimmunity. Mm -hmm. And the sick, SIG is the downstream adapter of the BCR signal. So phosphorylation of SIG can introduce a critical gene that required for BCR activation. I think you know that. And for the FCER2A that encodes the CD23, so which is the marker for the, uh, you use CD21 and 23 to separate the um, follicular B cell and the martinodont B cell, right? This one paper, they say those double negative population increased in the aged mice. So this is the double, this is one of the marker for the ABC, right? Yeah. Age associated B cell. And the uh, cell, SEL, this gene encodes the CT22, uh, no, 62L. So in T cell, it's a marker for naive, right? Yeah. And it's also a marker for B cell as well. 
So if you see lower level of CD20, uh, 62L, that means they are kind of energy experienced. Okay. They are not that naive. Yeah. And EBF1, it's a critical gene that to maintain the identity of the B cell. So as long as B cell come, okay, B cell progenitor commit themselves to further differentiate to the B cell. So this gene help them to kind of turn on a lot of gene required for B cell development as well as to turn out those other genes that can further differentiate to other lineage. So it's the identity for B-cell differentiation. That's what we can know right now. But the, I say, again, there's no any emerging pathway that immediately pops out after we perform this analysis. Yeah. It's very, it's very strange that you know the function of each of these genes. <laughs> it's unsettling <laughs> for me. <laughs> Also, it, okay. it's also, I just noticed that there is a gene ZBTB20 and I recently, uh -huh. uh, I recently presented a paper in my, in my lab's journal club about ZBTB18. And that's a zinc mm -hmm. finger protein that if you knock it out of the B cells, you have fewer plasma cells. And mm -hmm. so this is very much required for uh, plasma cell development and it controls the PI3K pathway. So having mm -hmm. this up going up, it shows that yeah, probably something to do with plasma cells, which will be another science paper coming up, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, you and you, I'll, I'll let you take. Sure. Uh, just to end this part, so the authors uh, confirmed the presence of these H-associated B cells uh, by flow cytometry, and they also found high levels of seek. And Seq is a non-receptor tyrosine kinase, which mediates signal transduction downstream of a variety of transmembrane receptors, including classical immunoreceptors like the B-cells receptor and APOE protein. Furthermore, Dura-H-associated Dura B-cells had increased numbers of IGHM transcript compared to the mature B-cells. Looking at the single-cell BCR Seq data, they confirm increased expression of IGHM and reduce IGHD. Uh, they also found C region usage in these uh, H uh, associated B cells. This whole information uh, suggested that dural ABL cells are experienced B cells. And here I got a question for you, doctor. What can we infer from the fact that these cells are experienced B cells? Uh, so when we say it's experienced B cell, it means that it's antigen experience, right? Mm -hmm. So, you think about the germinal center reaction. So there are two critical steps for germinal center reaction. So first one is somatic hypermutation. So that helps B cell to generate antibody with higher affinity. We call affinity maturation. And the second part we call it is cast switch recombination. These are the critical steps for uh, B cell to robust, to initiate robust, robust humoral immunity, mm -hmm. right? So then. Based on looking at the stomatic hypermutation, we know where B cell are energy experienced. So we have data to show that these B cell have higher frequency of somatic hypermutation. As such, they are for sure energy experienced. And also, as I said earlier, so the cell, SELL, this gene, it's related to the naive or uh, energy experienced B cell. So that could be another marker. Thank okay, you. so now we know that the H-associated B cells disseminate throughout the dura of the H mice. The others wanted to know next whether where do the H-associated B cells originate. 
So they're using the B cell receptor data. Uh, the other could determine the percentage of B cells in the clones that we share between the dura, mature B cells and the circulating B cells in the blood in young mice and in aged mice. The authors found that there's no overlap between the dura B cells and the circulating B cells in young mice, whereas there's a minor overlap observed in aged mice. By contrast, over 31% of the dura age associated B cells were members of clones share with the blood, suggesting that these cells had trafficked from the polyphery or from the circulation. And lastly, the others looked into the redundancy of the plasma cells clones shared between dura and blood in young and aged mice using the single cell BCR-seq to gain insights into their origin. And even though only a few plasma cell clones could be detected in the dura meta, the others found an important clonal overlap uh, with blood, indicating that the plasma cells, mostly IgA from young mice, infiltrate the dura from the polyphery. By contrast, plasma cells clones in the aged dura, mostly IgM, exhibited a negligible uh, overlap with the blood repertoire, indicating that most of these cells were not derived from the blood. Notably, they found that there's a clonal overlap about 15% between dura plasma cells and dura age-associated B cells, suggesting that in H mice, some dura ABCs may locally undergo terminal differentiation into IgM-secreting plasma cells, supporting the possibility of a clonal relatedness between the dura plasma cells and the dura age-associated B cells. So while I have another question, do you think the infiltration of the blood-borne age-associated B cells, as well as the accumulation of plasma cells within the mening meninges could be the leading cause of neuroinflammatory uh, disorder? I think absolutely. Uh, it's pretty possible. As I said, these B cells derive from circulation blood, they don't uh, export to any antigen in mm -hmm. the central nervous system, right? So, for example, we know that uh, MOC, myeloin oligodendrocyte protein, is the antigen that only presents in the central nervous system. So when this B cell infiltrate from peripheral to meningitis, they, if they don't see this antigen before, it's possible they consider this as a foreign antigen and then they start to further differentiate the plasma cell and secrete the antibody that against this antigen. So it could be the one of the possibility that why the multiple sclerosis happens. Yeah. Cool, well, for discussion, I've just got a bunch of questions for you. Um, so kind of related, um, I know you're familiar with the work of Ken Dorshkind, who was like on your committee, Yeah. Um, and how he found that in the bone marrow, the population of cells totally change and it goes from more like myeloid as well as plasma cells instead of like these naive lymphocytes. Um, what do you think are the physiological consequences of accumulating plasma cells in the mouse meninges? Consequence of accumulating plasma cell in meninges. Um, uh, well, the, the function of this population is to secrete antibodies. Right. And uh, first, we didn't know whether they are like memory like B cell or active plasma cell. It could be two different situations. So if it's memory like, like long lived plasma cell, it could be helpful to again some unexpected infection, especially during aging. 
but if this active plasma cell, then it's another story. Because, because if they keep producing uh, antibody in brain, I don't think that's a good. I don't think that's a good situation because it kind of, it sounds like a inflammation, or some kind of antigen specific response is undergoing. It's, it's happening. So the more different class of uh, antibody secreted by this population, the higher chance this antibody will attack some. Uh, some uh, tissue or cell that you don't want to see. So it could be two totally different uh, uh, situations. If you see the plasma cell accumulate uh, in an aged individual. But I have to say there's another nature paper. They claim that the IgA plasma cell in young mice is protective. And based on their coronal analysis, they claim that those IgA plasma cells in young meningi are derived from gut, which is pretty interesting <laughs> and fascinating. But uh, again, I think it needs more uh, solid evidence to prove that. Yeah. Another thing, I, I have a question about just uh, neuroinflammatory disease like multiple sclerosis. Now that we know there is a population that is coming from the meninges, there is a question whether the T cells that infiltrate the nervous system, where are they coming from? Are they coming from the meninges or are they coming from other parts of the body? Because that would be a good research work, right? Yeah, I, I think that's a very challenging one because as long as it's not steady state, mm -hmm. so especially due to inflammation and all of this homeocytokine can disturb this steady stasis, uh, steady status. So then at that moment, it's really hard to figure out whether those B cells you, you found in meningi are local resident cells or because of the chemo attractant from the periphery. Okay. So I think to address uh, the contribution of meningi B cell or peripheral B cell in the setting or context of multiple sclerosis, right now the, the, the one possible approach I can come up with is using a bone marrow camera. Yeah. So, so um, you can swap the bone marrow with the wild type, or like Ig uh, mock specific B cell. There's a, okay. I should say there's one transgenic mice called IgH mock. It's a BCR transgenic mice. So they basically uh, replace the ZH locus with the rearranged antibody against the mock. So all the B cell will be specific to the mob. And they can use you can swap the bone marrow in the skull by using that transgenic mice and see if that can contribute to the development of uh, multiple sclerosis. Okay. That's hmm. that's the probably relative uh, simple way. It's still complicated, I know, but it's relative simple way to figure out because again, as long as the inflammation happened, everything messed up. So you can now do like lineage tracing or follow up to, to figure out what are the source of this B cell you identify at the moment that purified from the meningi. Could be from peripheral as well. Cool, this kind of leads into another question. I guess we've been circling around uh, for the whole talk is what do you think are the cells that are critical to supporting the B cell development at the CNS borders? What are the cells that are critical support the meningi B cell? Mm -hmm. Uh, could be many different types of cells. So let's say 
what can we learn from the bone marrow, B-cell development in bone marrow, right? Um, so first, B-cell development requires CXL12, as we discussed, and that can be produced by fibroblast. But whether other immune cells in bone marrow can produce CXL12, I, I am not sure. Could be. The second is IL-7 and IL-7 receptor. And uh, of course, in the bone marrow, stromal cells produce IL-7. But we don't know yet what is the IL-7 producing cell in meningitis. So if you go to the Allen Brain Institute to look at all of the cell, single cell RNA seq in the brain, you found that couple like glia or astrocyte, you can find a transcription of the IL-7 in those cells. So one possibility is, is those brain cells, like glia, astrocyte, neuron can produce IL-7 to support the B-cell development. Of course, the stromal in the skull bone marrow can also produce IL-7 to support that. And then next, so in the bone marrow, you know, some cell, some kind of cell was uh, expressed April to sustain the plasma cell that recycling back to the bone marrow. But if that is the case in uh, meningitis, so I think that would be another interesting direction to follow up. Yeah. All right, and my last question for you is, what is the next research direction that you are most excited about from this paper? Um, actually, it's a lot, a lot of different directions. So as I say, one direction is we want to know what is the contribution of meningeal B cell or peripheral B cell in the context of the neuron degenerated disease, such as multiple sclerosis or lupus. And also in a steady state, what if, if any other cells that interact with B cell to help them to stay in meningitis and finish maturation steps, that will be another critical direction to follow up. And also, I'm not sure uh, for other disease, but the right now I can come up with is, this is my personal observation. So you know I studied the lymphoma and leukemia, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. occasionally I'll follow these mice uh, tilt head. They have a tilted head. Oh, oh, like they're doing the alligator roll sort of tilted head. Yes, thing. yes. So I wonder. Oh, yeah, that's bad. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder is that's in the yeah those mice we know it's uh so we st I study mir one forty two that's why we know mir one forty two is required for B cell development and we study some leukemia lymphoma model and occasionally these mice have with a tilted head so I wonder like dysregulate the bone uh, B cell development in meningitis can somehow interpret this phenotype. I don't know yet. Well, there are a lot of reasons you can have a head tilt, right? Because like, I, I think dogs, I know if they get Lyme disease, they'll get a head tilt, but. Yeah, know. but this mice in theory should be clean. So the, oh, any, that's, any, that's true, any, yeah. <laughs> any phenotype you observe should be driven by the genetics manipulation in theory. Yes, yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. So you know what? What I thought when you said hell tilt, I thought this mouse has such a giant tumor that it's weighing down its head on the side. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's what I was imagining. So no, that's no. That's it's like it a it's like a neural thing that I don't know what gets aggravated, but like yeah, their their head is tilted, and if it's really bad, they'll start to alligator roll. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and I, I 
I know that in some leukemia model, especially for those dysregulated myeloid lineage, they, they also observe similar phenotype. So remember another back-to-back -back paper from Unikipnis, they studied the myeloid part. So I wonder is any cell that developed in bone marrow probably can also develop in meningi. And if that is the case, if myeloid and uh, especially the B, uh, B cell development is dysregulated, maybe there's some like leukemia lymphoma developed in meningi, and that's why it's been some neurological weird phenotypes related with phenotypes yeah. in the mouth. I don't well, know. That's a then, wild expectation. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, related, um, you know, when when cancer patients do get radiation and stuff, they get like. Uh, or, or like chemotherapy, you get like chemo brain where you're just slower and like in a, in a brain fog and stuff. So I'm wondering if, you know, maybe that is affecting the brain as well, oh, yeah. you know, cause you're killing all those cells, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. All right. Anyway. <laughs> so let's, uh, if we, we don't have more to, to discuss, let's part to the summary of this uh, excellent work. So the conclusion of from this study are that meningeal B cells are extravascular and can exit, exit the central nervous system compartment through the dura lymphatics. They are phenotypically similar to bone marrow cells and they encompass multiple stages of development. Meningeal B cells mostly derive from the calvaria and infiltrate the meninges via a network of channels uncoupled from the systemic circulation. Dura fibroblasts produce crucial factors for B cells development, such as CXCL12. In H mice, there's a distinct population of meningeal B cells corresponding to H-associated B cells, or ABS, or ABC cells. And these dural ABS, ABC cells are antigen-experienced B cells infiltrated from systemic circulation. Taken together, these findings shed lights on the origin of cell-reactive B cells in pathological conditions of the central nervous system. Hey, thanks a lot, Eugenio, for that uh, summary. I think this would be a good time to uh, end the session. It was it was really a fun time discussing B cells in the brain. Uh, thanks a lot, Wayla, for joining us today. My pleasure. And for all the listeners, you can check out more things that we do at the Antibodies Cinematic Universe at by going to our website called antibodies.org. You can find out our other podcasts, journal clubs, and the blogs over there. We also have started a new segment called the Career Talks, where we get in professionals from industry or different walks of uh, academia and industries, where they will talk about their experience and share how to get in their place, <laughs> how to get a job, yeah. <laughs> so we'll see you again in two weeks. Thanks a lot, Dara, Eugenio, and Natalie for being such a wonderful hosts. And we'll be back soon. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.